New on Curiosity Stream, how do you connect a 16th century potato to limitless energy production? Could Napoleon's toothpick have a direct link to a machine that predicts the future? And how can a 1700s conch shell chart a course to humans connecting their brains to the internet? James Burke's visionary series, Connections, returns for a new generation. Experience all new Connections. With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. Welcome to High Stakes, episode 27. I'm your host, Neil Orfield. You can find me on Twitter at PlayerQDFS. High Stakes is produced by Mike Lawrence. You can find him on Twitter at AwesomeYo. And our guest today is Ben Rossa. He is the stochastic director of betting. He has big wins in PGA and NFL DFS. You can find all of his sports betting content on Stochastic. I'm excited. He's our first real guest who is uh, sports betting centric. So this should be a fun conversation. We can ask some questions that we haven't really asked uh, other guests before, but we will ask a lot of the same general questions as well. Uh, ben, first, I'll start with how are you today? I'm good, man. I'm I'm really excited to be on. I, I watch this show. Uh, always a fun kind of vibe to hear people in the community kind of tell their stories. So uh, happy to get into it. It's going to be a little different. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little more betting centric these days, but now really excited to be here now. We've had actually uh, several people ask for you to be a guest. People want to hear about the sports betting stuff. So Uh-oh. I'm excited to have you on. Now, whether I'm going to be able to actually ask smart questions about sports betting is another question, but uh, you know, you, you can guide me a little bit, I guess, with the, the sports betting questions. And I got some, some great questions from Mike Lawrence, a producer today, so we can ask those as well. Um, but we'll, we'll start with a just general background questions that I ask everybody. Uh, somebody actually specific, specifically said that it, they want to hear about your background, how you got into sports betting, DFS, et cetera. So we'll start there. We'll, uh, we'll start with what kind of background do you have in statistics? Do you have any formal or informal training? Not really. Uh, you know, I took stats in, in college and whatnot. I like math, but nothing too formal. Like I, I definitely wouldn't say that I'm someone that that really excels with statistics and, you know, a very advanced setting. I, I know enough where I think I'm able to kind of articulate what I need to know. And then the, the rest of it, I, I look for, and we're going to get into this, of course, maybe some other ways to kind of uh, catch up where I may be lacking. So I'd say maybe informal training and stats, definitely experience took some, but not my strong suit now. Okay. And then what about computer programming? Do you have any informal or formal training there? No, no. Now we're getting no, no formal, no, nothing, no Python or snakes, whatever the hell it's called. Uh, I would love snakes. It's been on my list for five years. Um, oh, I'm going to learn how to code. And then I just never do it. Uh, obviously, I know a lot of people in our industry and on the DFS side, you know, that that's what they do. And it can be incredibly valuable. But I think kind of one of my overarching mantras of this is kind of know, know what I know, and I know what I don't know. And that that's just something I was never, never able to kind of grasp. So uh, now I have no training in computer programming whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the same page as you that I've been like, Oh, I should really learn how to do this. And then I just don't. Cause like, I haven't really needed to. And like we, you and I, we both work for stochastic. We've got the tools. People are doing all the work for us. So there's just no real need to do any kind of computer programming ourselves. Do you, are, are you strong in Excel? Yeah. So Excel is something that, uh, I kind of learned when I was kind of young and just always have leaned on that mostly for just like data analysis, certainly here at stochastic internally, of course we use it, but even for my own Uh, personal, whether it's DFS or betting, just you're able to see a lot with Excel. So that is one thing I do have training in, and that's been a big asset. 
Yeah, it's really nice. I I am not good with Excel and I that's definitely something that I feel like I should learn, especially now working in stochastic, doing some of the stuff behind the scenes and we're using sheets and stuff. And like, I, I have no idea how to do stuff that other people are doing pretty quickly. Uh, so definitely useful to have some Excel background, but I don't have it. No doubt. I'll give, yeah. a, I'll give Josh a quick shout out on that. Like I, I was like, Oh, I love Excel. I know Excel. He took it to a whole nother level for me. Like some of the, some of the guys obviously we have here are just really great with that stuff. And it's, it's really helped me kind of add that uh, layer to my process. Yeah, just even automating like run sheets and stuff. I know Josh is just really good at having that stuff done quickly, automatically. Uh, yeah, that would be very helpful for somebody like me who just types it all up. Um, all right, uh, tell me about your professional background prior to DFS or any related hobbies. So in college, I, I majored in finance and I played poker, a lot of poker. And I, I kind of just assumed that I would play poker. Um, and then right as I was graduating, Black Friday hit for people in the poker world, basically online poker got shut down. Um, so that was not great. So I just kind of, you know, used the degree, which is what I, I think you're supposed to do after college and just got a normal job for a little bit. Um, I've always bet like, that's just something that was kind of ingrained. And then, we'll, you know, it's one of those things uh, slowly, but surely, like, like I think a lot of people, you know, you're in kind of a, not, not a dead end job, but just you're looking for something more and you start to transition a hobby into maybe something more serious. And then finally you say like, maybe I can do this a little more and some avenues opened up. But yeah, for me, I was just a finance major. Someone who played a lot of poker didn't play uh, fantasy sports. So that, that's one of the weird things growing up. I, I was a poker and better person, not, not a fantasy player. That's really funny. I, uh, so, so you said that you've been betting forever. And so I was going to ask you where you are, where you live. And I, I just uh, opened up the screen so I could look at your background. I see Hartford Whalers. Are you, do you live in Connecticut? No, I do live really close to Connecticut. I live in New York. Okay. Um, and sports, so sports betting, obviously legal in New York. Finally, long overdue. Um, yeah, I was, you know, like most people, uh, the offshore sites when that was kind of your only avenue growing up and whatnot. Okay. Um, but now finally... We're, we're getting on board in more and more states. It's been very exciting, of course, to see more states kind of join uh, the legal sports betting. Yeah, I, I was able to sports bet when I was in college uh, in Massachusetts, but I don't remember if it was actually legal or if I was also doing the offshore stuff at the time, the Bovada. I think it was even before I was using Bovada. I don't even yeah. remember, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, not has not been as... In Mass too. Oh, did you really? Yeah, I went to UMass. Oh, you went to... Okay, nice. I went to uh, Tufts University. Okay outside of yeah in in somerville there you go uh, that's cool i didn't realize that yeah um, I, I honestly didn't know that we're, we're finding out stuff live on the show look at that, that that's right master and you you said uh so you graduated shortly before black friday i was trying to is that 2010 11 for me okay all right yeah so you so, graduated right I, I i graduated college in 2006 so a little bit older than you we wouldn't wouldn't have run into each other there no. <laughs> but uh but yeah okay. yeah same same kind of window though so that happened all right at the tail end and that I mean, who knows? In my mind, it was like, oh, I'll just play internet poker forever. Like, would I have really done that? I honestly don't know. But it, my decision was taken away from me, so we'll never know. Were you? Did you get to a point where you were good at poker? So I think it was probably a combination, and it mirrors a lot of these industries. I was a little late to it. It was just so easy that I don't even know how good I was. I just realized that, you know, it's a zero-sum game, that most people were awful. Um, so yeah, I wish like most things in hindsight, I wish I took it more seriously. I was in college. I was not like grinding as hard as I probably should have been because I thought it'd be around forever. And then you look back and you're just like, wow, I should have really crushed. Um, but yeah, I, I, I always liked poker, particularly online poker. That's definitely a strong suit of mine. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was got pretty into online poker right after I graduated college, I think in like 2006, 2000, maybe 2007, one of those years, shortly after graduate college, I never got to the point where I was good. Like I got to the point where I would win for like a couple days in a row, but I didn't have the uh, dedication, I guess. I, I wasn't ever studying. I never read anything about how to play. I, I didn't really have the uh, dedication. It's not the word I'm looking for. I didn't have the uh, fortitude to like, if I had aces to fold, like when I should have after a while, like I would just, I don't know, I, I could never get to the point where I would just not lose all my money quickly after I was winning. I was also, you know, drinking whiskey while I was playing and stuff. Yeah, probably probably not the best too. approach. Yeah. I always, I always thought that I was going to be good at poker and I got a lot better as I played, but, uh, never got to the point where I was actually a winning player before I gave up on it. 
Uh, and I was, I was also only playing online. I thought that was, you know, so fun that I could just sit there on the couch, have baseball right. in the background at the time I was watching a lot of baseball and, and play some poker while I was watching. Uh, so those are, those were good times, but yeah, sad that those are over. Um, all right. So you, so you were a finance major, you got into finance for a while. How, how long were you doing a finance job? Um, Maybe like three years, I want to say a couple, not even, um, you know, I graduated because like I, I was kind of figuring stuff out, playing some poker, just doing whatever. And I just took a, a normal finance job. Uh, and then pretty quickly, I, I just was just like, all right, I'm I'm starting my ascent into DFS and never looked back. So this is in like 2013. You started a little later, probably. Yeah, but in that ballpark for sure. Okay. And, and what drew you into DFS? You, you said you hadn't played fantasy sports before. Yeah. So like, mo- I shouldn't say like most people, uh, somewhat random, incredibly fortunate. I had a friend, uh, you know, a lot of my friends gamble. And I remember around that time, one of them was just like, there's this new thing. It's like season long fantasy, but it's every day and you can win money. And I was just like, that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Like, I, I hate season long. Why would I want to do it every day? They're like, no, no, you should try this. I tried it. And I was just like, yeah, uh, that's definitely not for me. Um, just, you know, it, it was an interesting concept, but just not something I could see myself getting into. And then like a lot of things, you know, I'm just life is taking over. And I, I was just kind of like looking for something. And ironically, my therapist of all people, he was telling me, something completely unrelated about try to find something daily to do. Um, and for whatever reason, the concept, of course, of DFS stood out. And so I, I started to force myself to, you know, it wasn't like I was repulsed by it. It was just not something that I was immediately grasped by. And I started playing, uh, you know, a little here, a little there. And then like a lot of things, you start to get into it. I started to realize it was mirroring poker and the fact that I thought it was really unsolved. Uh, and then I started to really enjoy it a, a lot more than I ever thought I would. So yeah, kind of just a fluky coincidence, but that was my ascent. It wasn't anything where I was just like immediately hooked by any stretch. Okay. So, so you, you said you did your finance job for about three years before you discovered DFS, started playing DFS. Yep. Were you trying like right away to become a professional at DFS? Like, was that the idea? I'm going to quit my finance job and do this <laughs> full time or what was the. No. So yeah, I mean that in theory would have been awesome. It was just something, again, I, I think I was just looking for it as a hobby, something to maybe give my life a little more flavor, a little more, you know, like, hey, you, you know, you get off work or you can you can do this. It's just kind of a different uh, thing. It's kind of fun. Uh, and so, no, not at all. It was just it wasn't even about the money at the beginning. It was just like more of an activity, more of a challenge. I love puzzles, stuff like that. And then, you know, like everything, it becomes, you know, maybe if it was ninety five five. Then it's 75, 25. And soon I'm devoting more time to DFS than I am anything else. And then you realize may- maybe I should make a shift, make a change. Okay. And were, were you a winning player right away? So I, I definitely didn't start it and, you know, just immediately was crushing by any stretch. But I think what I realized pretty quickly, and I can thank poker for this, is I knew almost immediately that something wasn't right with this in the sense that it was very unsolved. Like people were doing things that even I thought were pretty quickly that made no sense. Uh, It was, I started with college sports when they were legal in New York. Now you can't play college football. I love college football. And I immediately was just like some of the, the constructions and the line, like this doesn't make sense. There's definitely something here. So I took my lumps like everybody else, but once I kind of fine tuned what was going on, I was fortunate to get really lucky pretty early. And that, that gives you a lot of confidence. Uh, that maybe you can do something with this. So just out of curiosity. So when you say people were making decisions that clearly didn't make sense in, in like college football, is that like they were not stacking their lineups or. Okay. So when we're going back, I know for so a lot of people who maybe are like, they have just discovered DFS. some of these things, it's just like, wait, what? Um, I mean, this is back when the sites didn't really police who was in, who was out. Like, you know, if a guy was hurt or inactive, like they didn't say, they didn't have a giant red O next to his name. So like, there were dead lineups all over the place. You mentioned uh, the stacking in college football. There's a lot of dual threat. Like people didn't understand the concept of a running quarterback, how useful that was. So very simplistic things in hindsight. But at the time, a uh, lot of things were just undiscovered. 
Okay. So also just people playing players who didn't project that well, like non-rushing quarterbacks who maybe didn't yeah. have high projections, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Just very, very simple stuff that now, you know, the sites like ours, you know, would immediately help you out there. That, that didn't really exist back then. It was, you're on your own to some regard. Right. Just using projections is a, is yeah, a huge that, boost that relative concept. to, man, if I could go back and just play with good projections back in 2011, 2012, whatever, that would be oh. uh yeah killer which and that's how people i i assume that's how guys like condia the guys who were crushing back then they just made good projections and that's all it really took uh absolutely there's no doubt those were the days uh okay in which sport or sports do you think you have the biggest edge so what just to kind of bridge what we were just talking about it was 100 percent college football i was crushing college football and then they stopped offering college sports in new york and i was like well this is a big problem because nba is great NFL is great, but I think they're towards being more solved. And the sport that I thought was the most unsolved, the sport I knew little to nothing about was golf. Uh, and I was just like, I'm going to learn golf. And I spent a long time learning golf. Now I'm kind of, in some regards, I think people probably equate me more with golf than any other DFS sport. It's the sport I probably had the most success. And I think of all the sports, it's probably the one that, even though it's high variance, I, I, I still kind of regard it as the sport that if I was in a tournament for my life, I would prefer it to be PGA as crazy as that sounds, considering it's a roller coaster every time. It's funny. I you're the I think third guest in a row who is pretty PGA centric. Like I, okay. I consider that to be your main sport. Uh, yeah. Had the the degenerate on last week. He's a big PGA guy. Um, and then we had uh, who do we have before the, uh, Wiley Wiley was on before they oh, did yeah, it. So for sure. big time, big time golf guys. Uh, so that's pretty funny. I had not had many golf guys at all. It's not a sport that I excel at. I'm, I'm actually, it's the sport that I have lost the most at, uh, you know, <laughs> if I, if I, there are a few sports that I have uh, negative ROI, but golf I've lost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars lifetime. So uh, not, not my favorite sport, but I'm going to ask you. So I, I actually had this question lower down, but I'm just gonna ask you now. So for PGA, what, what goes into it? So is it just ownership versus optimal or is there more to it? Is it, do you, do you care about the weather, the tea times course? history form stuff like that what's uh what's most important to you in pga yeah so it's uh it's a crazy sport like i said and i think the reason that i probably gravitated towards it is because i think that game theory really helps because uh you know it's ironic i hate baseball and it, it has so many parallels to baseball because you know the, the example i always use for people lebron's on the court Sometimes during Christmas, something magical happens. Hey, Cricket customers. The Max with Ads plan is included with the Cricket $60 Unlimited plan at no additional cost. And this holiday season, Max is the one to watch when you're feeling festive. Son of a nutcracker. Cozy up to all the holiday classics like Elf, 8-Bit Christmas, and the Harry Potter 8 Film Collection. Just log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. Phone plans, streams, and standard definition programming subject to change. Fees, terms, and restrictions apply. See CricketWireless.com for details. Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the Neural Quantum Processor. Because this is an audio ad. Unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung, more wow than ever. For 40 plus minutes, even if he plays terrible, he's, he has to outscore the guys that don't play just by being out there. But Trout can go 0 for 4, and in golf, the best player can get cut, and some random can make the cut. And so it takes on just kind of a different mentality of where I'm certainly looking at things, weather and tee times, and I think I was one of the earlier people to try to remember that you play a different course every week. I think people get, you know, these other sports, every basketball court is the same, every football field is the same, but golf, some courses require a different skill set. So week to week, a guy may look like he's playing erratic, but maybe it's just he's excelling at certain layouts. Um, and I think things like that have really helped. But all in all, going back to the, the tools here at Stochastic, the ownership and things like that have really helped because when you get those pictures, you know where, okay, maybe this is a good place to make a stand. Uh, very aggressive. You could be punished. But the game theory in, in PGA is very strong, I think. Okay. And so for... You don't do any of the projection. Do you do RPGA projections? I do not. No. Okay. So you Thank probably God. don't know. I'm curious what to what extent like the the strength of the golfer on the particular course would go into a projection. I don't know. I guess it's all it all comes down to betting lines, right? There's a big part of how projections are made, which would factor that kind of thing in. It definitely factors it in, and you know, there's the the age old debate of like, 
you know, long-term form versus short-term form. Cause in golf, you know, guys historic, you go back two years, you're looking at world-class players and, and you fall out of form. You could be missing cuts left and right. And our projections do a really good job of weighing that kind of at different intervals and kind of painting that picture. But I think, you know, with PGA, uh, it's a, it's a roller coaster. And I mean, I've had crazy stretches of both where you can't miss and where it's just like, I'm, I'm legitimately never going to win again. Uh, it was a good run and, and that's just kind of the nature of it. But I, I still think there's a lot of untapped potential with PGA. Interesting. Okay. Maybe, it, maybe it's a sport that I'll give another yeah, shot give at it some another point. Shot. Come on in. I, w- I was playing a lot this year and th- this year is when I've lost most of my money in PGA. And now I've, I finally got to a point where I was like, I gotta, I gotta turn things around with <laughs> sports that I'm better at before I, before I get back into PGA. Uh, as far as college football goes, you said it used to be your bread and butter. Uh, now you can't play college football DFS. Do you, do you still do any content related to college football DFS? Yeah, I do. So I do uh, our live before lock me and Matt Kajewski okay. every single week. Uh, and I still, like I said, obviously I bet it's my favorite sport to bet. I still love to follow it. And there are times I'm pretty close to Connecticut, so I can drive over the border and enter my lineups there. It's just on Saturday mornings, it's a little tough sometimes, but, uh, I do miss it college. You could play two quarterbacks and that it gets real crazy. Uh, so if, if you are in a state, I would really encourage people to give college uh, a, a shot. It's a lot of fun. One of my favorite DFS sports. Yeah. So I, I actually am in Minnesota. We are allowed. I did play one week this year. Uh, I have not really given it the full like strength of my, given it my attention to the extent that I could, but I, I've only, I think hand-built lineups. No, I've crunched them out using uh fantasy cruncher and kind of looked at who the players are that project well, and then hand-built based on what it gives me. And I did think it was pretty cool that you can use the super flex on a second quarterback and do a second stack with, it does seem like it should yeah. be really fun. Maybe, maybe I'll have to give it uh, some more attention, but the fact that I didn't even know for sure that you did college football content shows <laughs> you how little I have paid it. Like I don't even watch the college. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try doing that watching the, the Saturday college yeah. football show and getting into it at least one of these weeks, give it a shot. Cause it does seem like it'd be fun. It's a ton of fun, Matt. Obviously, there's no one better. I know uh, just a straight guru and there's little intricacies. So the one other thing I won't dive too deep into it. When you take a sack in college football, you lose the yards. So like there are guys that have like negative 60 rushing yards uh, in games. So again, these little edges more and more they're being discovered, but it's a totally different world with college sports. You have 45 point spreads, things you just don't see in the NFL. Really, really cool sport. I don't remember who it was. I was looking at uh, before some showdown slate. I was trying to figure out if a rookie quarterback was a running quarterback. So I was like, well, he doesn't have NFL stats. So I looked at his college stats and I was like, he has negative 70 rushing yards yep. in college. Like I, that doesn't make any sense. This is clearly an error. And then somebody, somebody DM'd me later. and was like, actually in college football, a sack is yeah. So explained it to me for that is, that is wild that that counts as negative rushing yards for a quarterback. It uh, makes a huge pretty fun difference. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so I've got a few sports betting questions coming from Mike Lawrence, our producer, and we can you know just have a little conversation about sports betting since uh, haven't really been able to do that before. Uh, so I'll start with Mike's questions. He says, uh, "Which would you say you're stronger at? Is it uh, DFS or sports betting slash prop betting?" So I definitely have my my run in DFS where I thought that you know the fields were still soft, but as everyone knows, the tools the sites, the players, everyone's getting way better. Um, sports betting's that way too, but it was my first passion. Got a lot more experience in sports betting. So I think that more and more now that it's taking back over, uh, I would say sports betting is, is more where I belong and more where I feel uh, at home the most. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Second question. DFS and prop betting have a lot in common as they're both based on projecting and predicting individual statistical performance. Do you think having a grasp on one better informs the other? And if so, which one helps the other more? For sure. They're, they're intertwined. Um, so the thing about prop betting that I think is probably a larger conversation, it's a great thing. It's very soft. Props are, are a lot easier to bet than sides. There are overarching issues with props that I think certainly if you're a casual better, you're not going to run into them. If you're doing something for real and you're betting, like there's liquidity issues trying to fill, you know, you can move those markets a lot easier. There's, you can get limited. Like if you're, if you're betting outrageous props, you have a much higher chance of having the books say like, we don't want this type of action. So there's a lot of other things that go into it, but there's no doubt that props and, and DFS go hand in hand because we're, we're drilling down to players. You know, that's the big thing. If I think, 
you know, Texas is going to win in football. It doesn't really matter who does it as long as they cover. But when we're talking about is, the, is it going to be a run-centric attack? Is it going to be a volume-based attack? You know, these are the things that we talk about all across our platform on these shows. So I do think it's kind of a, a, you know, a circular process where they're both helping each other. But I always look to the prop world and to Odd Shopper before I build, particularly for like showdown when it's one game. Uh, I think those props are very valuable pieces of information because Vegas knows uh, how to project just the, just about as good as anyone. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I want to uh, key in on one thing you said, which is sure. if you're making outrageous bets, you'll get limited. What do you mean by that? So it's always been my impression as somebody who doesn't do sports betting. My impression has always been you get limited if you win too much, uh, but you, it sounds like there's more to it. What do you mean by like outrageous bets that will get you limited? Yeah, so again, it's definitely... Uh, your mileage may vary. It can be a noisy topic, but the way I, I just kind of think about it, um, you know, if, if you're in a national, like a nationally televised game and there's a million people watching, a lot of people are going to want to bet that uh, it makes sense. You know, people want to watch their team. People want to bet on LeBron, blah, blah, blah. If you're betting on like some random seventh man on, on the Pistons to have over, 0.5 steals like if you're betting a lot of money on that it's a pretty good sign that you you probably know there's a reason that you're doing that you're not doing for entertainment most likely um and so i think that if that's all you're doing if you're very selective uh obviously if you're angle shooting which is kind of a different topic where what i mean by that is like if you're reacting only to news you know lebron he gets ruled out and you you hit the lakers immediately and you have that automated they're going to pick up on that. I don't think you're going to be thrown out immediately, but there's definitely a difference. I don't think it's just blanket winning players. I think it's more, what are you betting and, and how are you betting it uh, that the books probably take notice of uh, more often than not. Okay. So I'm also curious, like, so, so every time we get a big piece of breaking news, like for example, LeBron being out, Greg Ehrenberg would be on live before lock or whatever and be like, okay, this is a good bet. I'm going to place a bet on, you know, the money line against the Lakers, whatever it is. Uh, he'll, he'll immediately act on that. Is that, uh, something that you do? Like, do, do you immediately, are you like very online because you're getting this breaking news all the time and feel the need to, uh, immediately make you know, make bets as things change? Or is that, I mean, you, you said that that's a way to get limited. Is that something that you try not to do too much because then you will get limited? It's definitely, uh, I'll say this. I, my, my only consideration on whether to bet something is not if I think it's going to win. Uh, and what I mean by that, there's definitely situations where uh, I think that speaks to having a lot of books and other avenues to get maybe some money down. But yeah, I, I mean, that's a fantastic, great, there's, nobody sharper with with the the angles that greg can find and i'm on our premium discord along with him i've seen the work that he does you got to be quick a lot of times you have to you know this is one of the many things with betting you got to be able to say i missed it I, I see a lot of people you know bet the lakers at minus five it shoots up to seven and a half and they're like i'm still gonna bet it and it's just like right. you, you really should just pass then uh you know you missed it you can always that's a beautiful benefit of betting you don't have to bet the game uh, so yeah, if you can get those bets down, it's a great way to build the bankroll. It's great to pepper them in. That's all you're betting. You might not be able to get down as much money as you would like in certain circumstances. Okay. So it's something that you can do a little bit more as long as you're making other bets as well. So you can take advantage of those things. You just oh, yeah. need to be a better consistently. You can't just be taking advantage of those that things. That would be my personal advice. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having some of that, or even if you are inferring sometimes you know, if you can say this guy, he took a hard fall last night. It's a back to back. We haven't gotten confirmation, but I think he's going to sit, uh, you know, you can, you can try to buy early and sometimes you get caught the wrong way, but you definitely can take advantage of that stuff. I think it's all delicate balance with, with betting more and more. Okay. Uh, and next question for Mike, I really love this question. I think it's an important question. Uh, the future of DFS in comparison to the future of sports betting, particularly prop betting and single game parlay betting. Uh, so we we've seen it here at stochastic. It seems like, uh, people are very interested in sports betting like odd shopper has really taken off quickly recently. Uh, what, what do you think of, what are your thoughts on the future of DFS in comparison to sports betting, et cetera? Do you think that DFS is kind of going to go by the wayside while these other, while sports betting is legalized everywhere, it's obviously taking on a bigger market share. Uh, how do you envision things going with sports betting and DFS? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's pretty clear to me that sports betting is the future. Uh, but I don't think that that means that DFS is just going to become a dinosaur. I think that what should happen and what I hope happens is that DFS and sports betting merge. And I think we're seeing that more and more with same game parlays with maybe some like pool centric stuff where you're, you're able to have the element of a GPP, but it's more on the betting side. You know, everyone picks 10 games against the spread and you're in a huge tournament uh, like that. I think things like that are very untapped and very cool that the sites could do. So there's no doubt in my mind, uh, the response on Odd Chopper has been amazing. We're, we're growing so quickly and it, it's just been great. And we're going to continue to do that because we're, we're really trying to do some innovative stuff over there. But betting is the future. And I think DFS has a real opportunity to still stay relevant. And I hope absolutely hope that it does. Yeah, me too. As somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience in sports betting, uh, DFS obviously is uh, my my favorite. So uh, I, I'm hoping that it will survive all of this new sports betting. But it is, you know, even if it doesn't go by the wayside, I'm, I am concerned that these million dollar contests are going to be five hundred thousand dollar contests instead. And that's, yep. you know, just over time, it's going to we're going to lose some luster with DFS. But hopefully, you know, maybe there's I think there's some possibility that, you know, people get involved in sports, betting and it's going to lead them to DFS. I don't think it necessarily has to be the end of DFS. So I think I'm with you. It's not necessarily going to become a dinosaur. Um, but yeah, something, something to watch for, I guess. Uh, how about, uh, so, so you do both, you do sports betting and yeah. DFS. Do you ever use sports betting to hedge large DFS stands or vice versa? So I, I do, uh, funny. I was just thinking about this the other day unrelated to this. Of course, I, I gotta get better with my hedging. I, I hedge stuff. And then I, I like reverse middle. I'm just like, what kind of hedge was that? Uh, that was just stupid. Um, it can be a little tricky because, Neil, I mean, I know you know this, you've had some amazing success. It's hard to hedge something when the in DFS with the top-heavy pools where it's like, okay, I have a track to win six figures. Like, I'm going to hedge this with like a $400 bet. It's, it's not like you can just say, like, I'm going to bet 50 grand on this one thing and just automatically take 50 grand in profit, you know, minus the entry fees or whatever. It's, it's a little more nuanced because with DFS, there's so many variables of what you need rarely do you have it where you know it's this or this um are there situations more in golf because you know it's like okay i i'm surrounded by 15 teams that have this one guy and i can make a live bet on him to win the tournament and get those placement points i'm gonna do that just so i know if he wins i'm guaranteed this money and if he doesn't win i'm at a pretty big advantage i think there's something to that but uh i have noticed in my own data I have hedges that I'm, I'm not proud of and uh, I need to be better with that because there's something to it, but you want to make sure that you're actually accomplishing what you're trying to do, which is securing money and not opening yourself up for just a, a bet and a, a disappointing DFS result. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting idea to hedge with sports betting, but like, as you say, you can, you can hedge and like have everything go almost exactly perfectly and still lose money. Like you can get almost everything 100%. right and still lose money in DFS. And the scenario you give where you're surrounded by 15 teams with that same player and then betting on that player to win, to hedge, well, you could, that player could, uh, could lose and you could still not win. Like there's, there's so many teams Absolutely. in DFS that it's, it is, it's hard to do, but it's definitely an interesting concept. And that, that sounds like a good scenario where it's at least something worth considering. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit of DFS process. And you've you probably kind of answered some of these questions already, but I'll re-ask them anyway. Uh, do you do any of your own simulations or use simulations from outside sources as part of your process for, I guess, DFS or sports betting? I don't. Um, you know, basically everything I use, uh, the tools that I use are all our tools uh, because I, A, believe in them. I know the people behind them. I trust them immensely. And I know that, <laughs> like... Um, the amount of work it would take for me to get up to speed to do stuff like that is just not worth it. So no, I, I don't, I keep it very simple. I, I have advantages, I think in other areas. And then I lean on the people that I, I regard as some of the best in the business uh, for that type of stuff. Okay. So you're not doing your own, but like you're, you're using like the boom bust and stuff like that, where they Absolutely. are using simulation. So you're, you're using yep. the stochastic simulations indirectly. You're not seeing the actual sims or you're seeing kind of the, the percentage and stuff given in, yeah. in, in boom bust. Okay. Uh, and then I assume you do use an optimizer. I don't. Um, oh. so I do, yeah, I do occasionally, but okay. no, I build by hand. I've always been that way. Uh, 
Sometimes during Christmas, something magical happens. Hey, Cricket customers. The Max with Ads plan is included with the Cricket $60 Unlimited plan at no additional cost. And this holiday season, Max is the one to watch when you're feeling festive. Son of a nutcracker. Cozy up to all the holiday classics like Elf, 8-Bit Christmas, and the Harry Potter 8 Film Collection. Just log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. Phone plan streams and standard definition programming subject to change. Fees, terms, and restrictions apply. See CricketWireless.com for details. For the best TV viewing experience, witness the coziest maroons, the most vibrant and brightest moons, the eeriest and darkest tombs, and radiant and vivid hues in any type of room with the Neo QLED and OLED TVs by Samsung. We're supposed to say Samsung, but that didn't rhyme, so <laughs> you're welcome. Samsung, more wow than ever. You know, again, there's serious drawbacks to that. Um, you know, I'm, I understand them. I think that's where I can get away with it because, I, you know, your goals change at times. You know, when you're playing Showdown, not having 150 bullets in things where crazy outcome, you're looking for like outrageous things. Uh, it can be a detriment. I stick a lot more in the three max, the 20 max single okay. entry where I know that, you know, to, to realize your expectation, I'm going to have to live till I'm 250, but that's all right. You know, I, I I'm willing to sacrifice that cause I'm super comfortable with what I do. Um, so when I want to fire 150, I, I use our optimizer. Absolutely. But uh, on a weekly basis, no, I don't. Actually, I'm, I'm pretty similar. Like if I am, if I'm making, you know, 10 or fewer lineups, I would definitely, even though I understand the, the benefits of the optimizer, they're telling yep. you who projects the best. I definitely prefer hand building. And, and like I was saying with the, the time that I played uh, college football DFS, that's ex- what I did is I ran, used the optimizer to tell me, okay, who projects well? Cause I don't even know who the players are in college football. Uh, so, so I'd have an idea of who projects well and then hand build lineups based on those results. Uh, so again, si- similar to using like the boom buster, you see the end results of a simulation and then use those end results to kind of inform your hand building. Uh, so indirectly, I guess, using an optimizer. Uh, but I, I, I'm with you. I like to, I like to hand build sometimes if I'm only doing a few entries, it's, it's kind of fun and, uh, it's a, it's a different kind of puzzle. Yeah. I, uh, I've, I've always been, yeah. I, well said, I think it's just a different feel. Um, and you know, the best of both worlds, I think just understanding when one is maybe a little more necessary to me has always been kind of the, my rule of thumb there. Uh, and then, okay. Uh, yeah, I think you kind of answered this already, but are there any sports that you do your own projections from scratch? No, okay. no, no. Um, I, again, it's not because the way I view it, it's like, could I do that? Sure. Am I going to be better than the team we have at stochastic? No. And I have access to that and I'm just going to rely on our guys. Um, will I make minor adjustments? Absolutely. Uh, for sure. But no, I don't, I don't make my own, um, projections in any sport. Okay. Same exact thought process here. Same, same exact reasoning why I don't. And same, same for ownership projections. Do you do uh, anything for ownership projections on your own? No. So the only thing, and I, I think it's something that the industry, we're starting to, to do more of this everywhere. I think uh, we're trying to picture ownership specifically to some tournaments. So the Millie is one thing. If you're playing in a, a 20 man or a 50 man or something saying, okay, which of these high-owned players, you know, the guy that's 25% owned in the Millie, he could be 60% owned in a small field. And so I don't do anything uh, from scratch per se, but I, I definitely am cognizant of how chalky maybe some of that chalk could get in what I'm playing. And, and sometimes it's not just about that kind of generic, oh, this guy's going to be 15% owned. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. So I, I don't do anything. Yeah. Like, I don't try to pre- predict the ownership, you know, different from what we have on the site, but it is... You know, I think I'm uh, indirectly thinking about ownership as I'm making some decisions. Like there are sometimes where I'm like, I think this player, just because of recency bias, he's been really successful. I don't like say, I think that this 20% is wrong. I think he's going to be 40%, but I do factor in like, no, nah, he's going to get more steam and, you know, I'm going to try to play less of him because of that. So I think kind of a, a similar process for me as well. And thinking about ownership, not really doing my own projections, but thinking about it differently for different contests and, and different scenarios uh, is definitely helpful. So uh, along those lines, how much does ownership play a role for you in creating lineups in DFS? Yeah. So it's definitely a, a major factor and one that, you know, take you all the way back to the beginning, never even considered it because people didn't know what they were doing. And the, like these guys in these can't miss spots wouldn't even be popular because uh, no one was paying attention to news. Now, 
you know, particularly with certain sports, like if there's a, a massive value, you're, you're not saying, is this a good play? You're saying, is it a good play at maybe 55, 60% in a top heavy tournament? So it's a really uh, delicate balance. Sometimes you have to open yourself up to saying, wow, I, I really took an aggressive pivot and it didn't pay off. But long term, I believe that that was still the right move. So it's a big part of my puzzle uh, each and every week. Yeah, that's, that's a good point that it didn't need to be like five, 10 years ago when people didn't oh. know what they're doing. You didn't have to factor in ownership at all. You could just count on other people making mistakes. Now people aren't really, I mean, there are still plenty of people making big mistakes, but in general, the field is so much better that uh, just from a projection standpoint, people are not making huge mistakes. So you have to, uh, you know, get, get smarter, outthink the field in other ways, uh, things like ownership. Uh, would you call yourself an exploitative player? I think to some degree, um, I think some of that's related to kind of what we're talking about with the field of, you know, certainly everyone is getting more up to speed and the number of people who just wing it these days and don't use any help from anywhere is, is so minimal that I think some of those advantages that open up are being minimized. So you have to look for some other things. Uh, but I've always kind of, again, I think this comes from poker, a lot of it where it's just like you're playing somebody else that you don't have to get to like four, you know, there's not like a target score. You have to beat everyone else. If everyone else for some reason got zero, you would win with one, uh, you know, so it's, it's about just being a little better than everyone else rather than saying I have to be perfect. I'm playing against uh, the house or something along those lines. So in that regard, I think I do try to lean on maybe some of the few remaining uh, general misconceptions out there. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with Ben Rasa to tell you about our sponsor, Odd Shopper. Make your best bets in 30 seconds or less with Odd Shopper. With hundreds of bets featured daily, Odd Shopper gives you the edge you need betting player props and game lines across all sports. Sign up for free now via the link in the video description below to gain access to our proprietary data, which will help you make your best bets. With expected win percentages and ROIs included, Odd Shopper uses the same DFS projections we use here at Stochastic to filter out the best bets available. Oddshopper also features a parlay builder with optimized parlays and an arbitrage tool that identifies risk-free, guaranteed profit bets that you can make across sports books. Uh, what about, so, so you've talked a little bit about Showdown. Uh, so first of all, when, when you're talking about Showdown, are you talking about NFL Showdown or PGA Showdown or just like Showdown generally? Uh, mostly NFL Showdown. Okay. Yeah. Are you, are you a big do play PGA showdown? I know that a couple of uh, the people that I've had on the shows, the PGA guys have been like, Oh, PGA showdown is where all the money is. That's, you know, uh, Jesse downside of me on Twitter is all about PGA <laughs> showdown. People seem to think that that's, that's where you have the biggest edge. Do you, do you, do you play uh, PGA showdown at all? Not as much as I should. Um, I agree with that. I think there's definitely, there's a lot of intricacies of like weather splits, tea time splits. Cause it's only one round. It's 18 holes. So like you can dig in, I've done a poor job at that. It's on the list. Uh, no, I love NFL. I mean, I'm talking to the king himself of NFL showdown. I love NFL showdown. It's just a blast. Uh, it's outrageous, but no, that's, that's really where I spend most of my showdown time. Hope to add more PGA this year though. And it's, so for you in, in NFL showdown, are you playing the biggest contests or are you uh, focusing more on smaller field stuff? So I do play. So again, this, I think goes back to, understanding because i love to just i love to gamble that's one thing like i i go to casinos like i i like to gamble i'm definitely putting in my entries into a tournament where other people have 150 and i have 11 or 7 and i know that that's probably minus ev in some regard i i like the team so that combats it but i'm okay with that those teams are more built for three max or satellites or things like that and that's really where i'm more concerned but i i'm someone that I'm not sure I would recover if I, I didn't have the team in there uh, and I want a ticket with the optimal, with the nuts. And it was like a three-way chop and I cost myself a couple hundred grand by just not putting it in there. So I treat those as lotto tickets. I do throw them in the biggest contest. Yes. Okay. So, so if I'm understanding correctly, so you make your lineups for, for like a three max to five max, whatever else, but then you throw it into the lotto as well, just because you'd be kicking yourself if you didn't have it in there. Correct. I am, I am the exact same way. It's funny. We, we actually just last night in, uh, in NBA, uh, John Breslin, a former, uh, guest on this show, uh, would have won the NBA Millie last night if he had played his cash lineup 
in the Millie. He didn't play it because he did what is probably the smart thing, which is yeah. differentiating your lineups for different contests. You don't play your cash lineup in a GPP. Makes all the sense in the world. I can't get myself to do that because I'm like, because of that exact reason. Like I would just be kicking myself. I would never recover, as you said, from not I having it. Couldn't recover. A hundred percent. That is the, like, let me tell you, if you can stomach it, you don't want the optimal build for a cash or single entry is so different than what you should be doing when you're trying to beat a hundred thousand people. And I, I try to be cognizant of that, but at, at a lower dollar where I say, okay, you know what? These are $5 entries or $10, whatever. I'm willing to sacrifice some of that just in case I, I am. And that's just a personal choice. I fully understand the ramifications because I know that talk about therapy bills. I would not <laughs> be able to recover if I it- missed out on that. It's a plus EV decision for you and for me life. because of the therapy. Yeah, the, the life therapy, the plus EV decision. Correct. I'm 100% with you there. Uh, okay. So if, you, if you're if you building for other contests, though, so a big thing for me is uh, I avoid trying to be duplicated too much in those larger field GPPs. Is that a big part of your strategy at all for any contest, just avoiding having your lineups duplicated by other players? It's a huge part. Um, again, I, I've seen a lot of people say like, what do you work? You know, oh, you're chopping for whatever, 600K instead of a million. Like that's pretty good deal. Like, yes, of course. But your equity is sh- like, you do not want to be doing that. Now you in showdown, of course, there's an element of you're going to be, but you can minimize the dupes. And that's still a win in some regards, particularly if you have a, a highly projected lineup, that's a little different. It's nice to get that middle ground. But yeah, I really do try to avoid, you know, those 200 or 300 team trains that, even if you happen to have that lineup, which is still incredibly rare to win, you're not getting paid off like maybe you would if you were able to differentiate. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. When, when we talk about avoiding being duplicated, we're not necessarily, especially in these large fields, I'm not trying to make lineups that are entirely unique. I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd prefer it if they are, if they're good lineups that I'm the only one who has it, but we're, we're just trying to avoid those major duplication. Maybe, you know, I, I aim for like under 10 dupes in the, the large field NFL. Yeah, it's a huge win. Uh, so yeah, definitely a big part of my process as well. Uh, what about sweating the game? So we, different people, definitely uh, different. I get, I, I, uh, I'm going to assume that you do sweat the games because you love the gambling aspect of it so much. Do, do you sweat the, the games I, after you set lineups? I was going to ask you, I was say, do you, do you think I sweat the games? Uh, yeah, I sweat the games. I sweat the games hard. I will say um, we're, it's weirdly different. I don't know why this is like my sweat for betting versus my sweats for DFS are just different. Uh, they have a unique feel, but yeah, I, I definitely watch a ton of sports. I, I rarely, if ever, am not sweating uh, what I'm betting or or DFS lineups. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're sports betting for the love of the game, like like you are, and like I am, uh, I think what, what's the point of doing it if you're not going to be sweating the games? I mean, obviously, making money is, is nice too, but it's that's that's the whole fun of it. Um, all right, we've got some listener questions i'll start with this one from aha bro which you didn't really ask a question but then i made a question out of it because i am very curious i'm glad you have the same background today that you usually do so aha bro says he should know i bought the seinfeld print on his wall as a gift for my brother it was perfect uh so there is your comment from aha bro but then i wanted to say tell me a little bit about the background the stuff that is on the wall behind you I'm, i can't even figure out which seinfeld print he's i don't see a seinfeld print there which one am i missing so i got a uh, people if you don't know what like it is you're like what the hell is that it's just like various items from Seinfeld. You got like the Bosco, the black and white cookie, okay. uh, the Pez dispenser, just like some of the more classic things from the show. Um, yeah, got my it. background, I mean, I kind of just threw it together. I spent a lot of time in Saratoga because uh, I love to gamble on horses. My parents are big like horse bettors and they have fun with that. So I every time I'm up there, I, I, I don't know why I end up picking up like a horse pitcher. And so like I have a bunch of those behind me. I have that ironically, and this is kind of, I have a couple bobbleheads, uh, which is just the thing I get asked the most by far. I have a green cup on the wall behind me mm-hmm. and it's from, I'm from New York, but when I go to Florida, I go to this place called Flanagan's It's really good ribs. And they give you the cup. The number of people that recognize that cup and say, are you from South Florida? Like, and I'm just like, <laughs> no, but I love that place. It's incredible how many people recognize that. So yeah, it's a little mishmash of uh, some horse pictures, some bobbleheads and a couple uh, pop culture references, I guess you could say. Okay. But I want to get a little bit more specific. I like, I like the green cup. I think I see an autograph on one of those horse pictures. Uh, does the horse sign with its mouth or with its, yeah, just with its right, hoof? How, do, how does the horse right autograph the race that? With his hoof. Um, 
yeah, man. I like I said, I love I love the track. Uh that was really like if you want to really go back, like what was I betting on when I was actually a kid? Like it was horses, um, which is just a money pit, but it's it's really fun. So uh I got those and and then I have my, a bobblehead of myself. I had a buddy after the the one in the middle is just a bobblehead okay. of me dressed as a golfer. It says Jazz Raz on it. Uh, when I won, uh, I was fortunate enough to win something, and I had a couple friends actually make that and send it to me, which is very cool. Taller than I thought you were. You're towering yeah, they, over you that know, other athlete. They, uh, very generous on these bobbleheads. I <laughs> wish that was reality in real life. But. Who is the the bobblehead uh, next to you in that on that shelf? So that's uh, just a job at Saratoga. They have a like a, I don't know why they do that. They give you a, a bobblehead. I think for opening day or one of those like giveaways. So it's one of the jockeys. Okay. Uh, I'm nice. Say it's Jerry Bailey, but I don't even know. I have to look behind me. All right. And then is that a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle on the other side? Oh of you? yeah. That's let's see. Yeah, we got Donatello. We got a, is it Donatello? No, it's uh, Mike Raphael. Oh, Michelangelo. Little, little orange. orange action. I've got him. I've got the the very rare and not many people. I have the Crash Bandicoot like. I don't even know what he is. Just the, I don't know if you know Crash Bandicoot. It's I like don't. that. It's well, it's gonna be tough to explain because I can't even explain <laughs> it. There's like a he looks like a witch doctor kind of. He's next to the green cup. He's back okay. there. Yep, don't even yep. know his name. Poor guy. I see him. Well, who, yeah. Who's on the other side of the green cup? That is another jockey. Okay. Um, and a golf ball. is that a golf ball? Uh, that it was next to the Ninja Turtle. Yes, that's a golf ball. Uh, shout out to DraftKings. They sent me uh, like some custom cool uh golf balls thinking that like oh this guy oh. he's an insanely uh like he plays a ton of pga he must be a golfer and like i'm an awful golfer so uh, <laughs> nice. but i appreciate that you know i learned that jake harry did not play hockey like in high school he didn't play hockey i always assumed that he was a huge hockey player because he's yeah, our Minnesota nhl guy again. he's a basketball player growing up. i was like what, what? that, that kind of shocked me all right one final question about the wall uh who are the hartford whalers the hartford whalers oh the team of my youth uh, so they're, I mean, now they're the Carolina hurricanes okay. hockey team used to go to their games all the time. Uh, cause getting to this, like I live right above New York city, but to get down to the city is real. It's tough. Like you got to, you know, the train, blah, blah, blah. You get to MSG for the Rangers or go down to the Island for the Islanders going to Hartford was super easy. So like, you know, my parents, they would just take me to the Whalers games. I loved them as a kid. Uh, I was sad to see them go, but always, always shout out to the Hartford Whalers. We also we lost the North Stars here in Minnesota. We have, we have the Wild now, which is nice. But yeah, we we also lost our hockey team for a while. So uh, I didn't really care because I was I was a basketball fan. But you know, sort of, I'm sure some people felt the same way that you felt about the Whalers. Um, all right, that that'll do it for my my wall questions. Uh, Alex K14 uh, asked, "Can you talk about how you size your bets? I.e., should I always bet the same amount? Should I always bet the amount that wins me the same amount based on the payout?" How do you size bets on a sport for a season? Yes, that's a real good question. Sharp guy, always in our chat. Uh, I don't think there's a perfect answer. I think that like anything, if you're trying to be completely like technically correct, I would look for some type of like Kelly criterion, which is something that's basically like going to help you size and adjust your bets constantly based on your perceived edge. Because uh, the biggest number one pitfall for, I see it every day in our, in our Discord and just in general with sports betting is, is people not understanding how it's just like DFS, the risk of ruin if you're not properly rolled is so immense. Even if you know what you're doing, you're going to get gobbled up on an outlier bad streak. So you need to budget and properly bet size that is okay, that you can survive just normal variance. And that's something I think is really important. How I bet, I, I look at myself as a pretty flat better. Uh, I, I kind of have a, a pretty small incremental betting scale that I'm comfortable with when you, you know, the second part of that question, do I, that wins me the same amount based on the payoff. I don't bet a ton of parlays. If I did, I would probably structure it where I'd be allocating less risk to win what I would view as, you know, a, a somewhat worthwhile reward rather than laying say a standard one unit on something where it's like, I could get 20 units from this, but like, you know, 95% of the time I'm going to lose. Uh, so I, I think that if you're really trying to be disciplined, get some type of, get a bankroll, have your amount, and then use a criterion that says like, okay, I have $50 units. I'm going to increase these as I win and decrease these as I lose. Uh, so I don't go broke. 
I don't run out of my bankroll. And I've kind of, you know, in my own way have that just because I've been doing this for a really long time. Okay. And you also probably have a pretty good idea generally about like, I mean, I, I would assume that you want to be betting based on your confidence in the pick. You, you described right. it as how much edge you have, which I you know assume if you're good at this, it should be the, the edge you have is related to how much confidence you have in the pick. So uh, essentially you should be betting more generally if you are more confident in the bet. Absolutely. Again, all within, if you can weather the storm, I think one of the, I've learned this from a lot of really sharp people, uh, much sharper than me that have told me this in various different industries, I think something that people maybe underutilize is not, and I'm terrible at this. I wish I was better. Like if you have a spot and it's a kill spot, like I'm not saying, you know, mortgage the house, but don't let it pass. Like you don't get that many opportunities to really make a dent. So like, if you have done your work and you have something that you say, I know for a fact uh, in everything that I trust in my process, that this is a great spot. Like, I don't think it's, it's a bad idea to be really aggressive and say, if this doesn't work, I recover, I grind back, and then I look for the next shot. But I've done more than a few times in my life where I say, yeah, I got paid off on that. And I should have really gotten paid off because I was early and I was ready. And I just didn't, I didn't really unload as much as I should have uh, based on the confidence. And that, that's, uh, that's a leak. That's something that you can and should be better on. Yeah. And that, that, as you said, it does apply everywhere. Like DFS, if you're confident in your approach to a given slate, like a lot of people will think that you should just play the exact same amount of money on every slate. Yep. Well, that's not really the best approach. You should be playing more on the slates that you think you have an edge on. And if you don't think you have an edge on a given slate, and there are some slates like for NBA, for example, there's no real injury news. Everybody's kind of priced appropriately owned appropriately. You should probably cut back on those slates and then play more on the slates where you have more of an edge. And then same thing with like individual player exposures. Like if you think the field is way wrong on this player and, you know, everybody's under projecting him, uh, then you should be playing, you know, a significant amount of that player. You shouldn't just try to be like a little bit above the field. If you think the field is way off, you should be way above the field. So I think uh, that that's really well said that, you know, across all of these industries, you need to find edge where you can and, and, you know, double down if you, if you really think you have some edge. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's something uh, if you have too rigid of an approach, like you mentioned, I know a lot of people that say like, I play this amount on every slate. And it's like, well, as you mentioned, what if, what if there's a slate where you are, your number one projected player is a guy that the field can't hate. It, like that's, that might be a time if you really trust what you're doing to make a stand, to say, this is a slate where I know I'm going to have leverage, natural leverage uh, and things like that. So I, I've tried to say in certain sports, in certain times of the year, like, this is the time for me. Like it's time to really pick my spots and make an impact uh, because I know that my edge is bigger at those moments. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, all right, we have one final listener listener question from Michael Campbell, uh, shaky on Twitter. Yeah, I know, I know you know who he is. I I said, okay, yes, Michael Campbell, Mike Campbell, friend of the PGA show, wants to know if you think putting is a real thing. Oh yeah. Putting the, uh, we could do a show just on that. Putting is all, all too real, but at the same time, it's somewhat of a uh, Ponzi scheme because it's all very, it, you know, the, the putting is something that is so important, but to accurately project it is near impossible. The, the thing is, I mean, the easiest way to describe it, you, you can't suddenly drive the ball 300 yards. Like if you, if you don't hit it far, you just don't hit it far. Uh, anyone can roll in some 50 footers, even if you're a bad putter, like everyone can do it. There's not like a physical limitation. There's not anything else. So you see time and time again in golf, a bad putter get hot for 72 holes and he's hoisting a trophy. You rarely see in golf, a terrible driver of the ball out driving the best drivers, because how, how would that happen? It's just not, you know, speed, all, all things like you don't, you don't see that, uh, really changing putting is such a volatile stat. Okay. So now I'm, I'm starting to understand why people tilt putting so much. Like I see on Twitter, like Jesse, another good example downside of me being, uh, Oh, of course he, you know, strokes yep. gain putting is, you know, plus whatever. And I'm like, yeah, so, so he putted well, you know, you should, you should, uh, pick players who are going to putt well. <laughs> like, they, uh, so, so it is, it's unpredictable. Is that the reason that people it's, tilt so much about strokes gain putting or whatever, I mean, all these different metrics? There obviously are some good putters. There's no doubt, but, on a given week, like I said, they're, they're the best golfers off the tee will be positive off the tee. I'd say in 
90% of the tournaments for the year, maybe more. The best putters, like they'll have tournaments where they lose three or four strokes putting and it's not, it means nothing. Like that's just what happens. They don't have it that round. They don't have it that week. Uh, there's just no way to consistently be good at that because it's just so high variance. So it's so frustrating to see a guy. This is why golf is so crazy. You target a guy for ball striking and say you fade him and then he gets there because he gained eight strokes putting. That is so frustrating because you're like, everyone liked him for something else and he has bailed himself out with a club that nobody anticipated just because it's all luck. Okay, interesting. I, I did not realize how much luck there is involved. Oh in my it God. makes sense. I mean, I've tried putting on some, some I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible golfer, golfer also, but uh, I tried golfing on some, and I'm like, just like the, the little different grades on the, I don't know, it, it's, it is tough. So I, I guess it does make sense. So that would be a higher variance kind of spot as opposed to, uh, yeah, hitting, uh, hitting off the tee. Like some people just going to be able to hit it better. That's interesting. I had not thought about that as much. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll become better at PGA if okay. I just think about it a little bit more. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So we're, we're going to close it out. Uh, can you tell me about your favorite win or win celebration in, in DFS or sports, but I guess you could, whichever one is your favorite, uh, tell me about, and you, you can tell me about multiple, if you have a few that, you know, are close there. Um, so I'd say my, my most memorable, I, I think like a lot of things, my most memorable win is the first time I, I, I had some really good success in PGA. And then I had a huge breakthrough at the masters a uh, handful of years ago. And I think the thing that made it super memorable was that I actually was at my parents' house. I went over there for Sunday and <laughs> what happened was it got to the last hole in the last group. And I needed Ricky Fowler to make say about a 10 foot putt, you know, for a lot of money, you know, an extra six figures and whatnot. And I was watching me and my girlfriend and my mom and my dad happened to be watching in another room and Ricky went to line up the putt. And all of a sudden I heard a scream of a yes. And I quickly realized that his TV was probably about 10 seconds ahead of it. And the relief that I felt not having to sweat the putt basically kind of, I was sweating it, but I knew that it had to have gone in, uh, was a good feeling that was a, that was a fun one it was you always wonder am i ever gonna i've been like a lot of people really close uh, like i came in second in the, in the golf like their quote live final i came in second in the millie in football and i always i'm like am i ever gonna you know come in first in something really meaningful and to to do that uh one time in pj was super uh exciting and for it to be ricky who's one of my favorite golfers was just uh one i'll definitely never forget it is such a relief when you win for the first time, because I think most of us, like we don't win right away. It takes several, like you get second yeah. place 10 times before you get your first place. And it just feels impossible to win until you do it. Like it changes it. Like you go from thinking it's just like, there's something going to get, like, there's some reason that I cannot You're win cursed. in these sports. Like I'm, I'm cursed. Yeah, exactly. And then you finally win. It kind of changes your whole perspective. So that's really fun. And it's fun that your, your first one, you were actually with people. I, I ask this question every time, tell me what your favorite win or win celebration. And half the time it's like, yeah, I was by myself, did a little fist pump. <laughs> it's like people by, so, so it's fun that you had your, your parents there, your girlfriend there uh, definitely helps the experience a little bit. Yeah. And it's, Again, I like I've been really fortunate that I, I've gotten in contention a lot and I've had some really cool wins along the way and all that. But like, as you mentioned, you know, and you get that. And listen, I totally understand you come in second in something. It's amazing. When you look back, you're like, wow, that was a huge score. But at the moment, it there's an element, at least for me, you're just like, what could have been Yeah. Uh, like, even though it's a great day. And so just to finally say, like, I. I did it. I, 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 it, it's a validating feeling, um, you know, and it, it's just one that you say like, okay, I'll, they can never take that away from me. Like I did, I did ultimately at the, some of the highest levels, I took one down and that, that is a really cool feeling. Yeah. First place, you have no regrets. Second place, yeah. you think about every little thing that could have gone a little bit differently, it, uh, especially with the huge, the huge difference in the, the way the prize oh pools are structured. God. It's like 100,000 to first, 20,000 to second, or like similar stuff across the prize pools. It's like monetarily, it's a huge uh, difference. Million. And then, yeah, yeah, the milli and then 150,000 to first. Yeah. Mil or second. But, so the milli, again, I'm going to sound like a jackass, but the truth, like the milli, it's a million to first that I came in second and I got 100 grand, which, is awesome. But yeah, if that one guy overslept that day, uh, right. I would have multiple more horse pitchers behind me. Uh, right. and it would be a lot easier. But yeah, that, that's just the nature of it.
yeah, just no regrets versus some regrets and also a lot of money. So yeah, it is, it is a different thing as, as fun as it is to win second sometimes. Um, all right, Ben, uh, where, where can people find you? So first of all, just thanks for having me on. I had a blast. This was, this was awesome. Thank you for coming uh, on. Of course you can find me here along with Neil and everyone as part of the stochastic family, but more and more, even though I, I definitely am on this channel, you can find me over on our odd chopper YouTube. I, I've really taken up a lot on the betting space uh, here with stochastic and I've, I've started to help a lot more there. So if you, if your state has come on, if you want to learn more about betting, uh, you want to have some fun, check out odd chopper YouTube. And then of course, in our premium discord, I I'm a part of a team in there. We have a great community. We sweat a lot of bets. We talk a lot of strategies. We answer a lot of questions like this show, not just about who do I play this guy or this guy, but Hey, Talk to me about Excel. Talk to me about uh, bankroll management. Talk to me about how do you weather the swings? How do you not go crazy? Uh, just a lot of fun in there. So you, you, of course, can find me on Twitter at JazzRazDFS. But anytime you see Stochastic and Odd Chopper, uh, I hope to be a part of it. And you'll see me around these parts for sure. So I've never, I don't think you've, I've ever been, I don't think I'm even signed up for the Odd Chopper Discord because again, I can't sports bet here. But it's probably, do you think it'd be valuable for somebody like me who's just a DFS player? Uh, can we learn stuff from the Odd Chopper Discord? You absolutely can. So it's it's within our within the home of uh, the stochastic discord. It's just some different channels in there. And, and okay. there are several people that are in there that either bet very casually or just say, you know what, I just want to learn kind of some different strategies, because I think the all we talked about today from poker to DFS to betting, there's so much overlap. And if you can nail down some of those overarching strategies, you'll be better at whatever craft, whatever you're passionate about. I, I really believe that. So it's not just, Hey, I'm a professional sports better. Uh, I want to be in this discord. I think there's a lot of uh, fun, of course, and then just valuable information, no matter what you're doing. Okay. I did not realize, didn't even realize that it was yeah, in the same in. stochastic discord. So I am already part of the, the discord apparently because it's in the stochastic one. That's how bad I am at discord in general. I discord miss messages for like days at a time. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bad at uh, managing my discord, but that's good to know. I'm going to, I'm going to start checking it out. Okay. Thanks Ben uh, for coming on. It was yeah. a lot of, a lot of fun to have you on for episode 27 of high stakes. Thank you to Mike Lawrence for producing as always. And thank you, the audience for listening. Uh, if you, you can catch episode 28 of high stakes two weeks from today. So Friday, uh, the, I don't know what date it's going to be two weeks from today. Catch, catch episode 28 of high stakes on the stochastic YouTube or anywhere you can find podcasts. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.